Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Londonist Out Loud is available free as a stream at londonist.com or a weekly download via iTunes. Hit us up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud, tweet at Londonist Sound, and check out images of our guests via the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a stone throw from your front door. We start today's recording in a spiral stairwell, and I'm looking up above me. I'm, be- I'm being led by Ian Tuckett up a spiral stairwell. We're at the top of the Oxo Tower, and we met on the eighth floor at the public viewing gallery and the, the restaurant and brasserie there. And uh, Ian was good enough to suggest that a quieter place might be a little further up, and he's produced a key, and I can't resist a man with a key. We've reached a, a gantry level and now we're moving up a second spiral stair. It's a bit wobbly. How old is this staircase, Ian? Oh, this is the original one. So it was um, 1928 to 30 that the tower was added to the building. Um, originally, it was uh, built around 1900. Um, and it was an electricity generating station for the post office. But in 1928 to 30, it was um, extended. You can see a kink along the river frontage, and the tower was added, and it became a, a warehouse where they unloaded uh, the meat from the um, barges stored it in the cold store and then processed it and packed it and it wasn't just OXO which is obviously what people now know because of the tower it was um, all those uh, sort of meats uh, that I don't personally eat and it was one of the brilliant ideas of the Architect Albert Moore uh, to get round the ban on sky advertising by designing the windows of the tower 
um, in a way that uh, just spelled out OXO. <laughs> That's terrifically clever. We, we've stopped for breath there. At uh, we We're, in fact, behind one of the sets of O windows. Are we at the, the top O or the bottom O? Bad news for you, mate, is that we're at the bottom O. You've got an X and an O before you get to the top. we better keep moving. I'll, I'll introduce you properly, uh, listener, in just a moment. Through the crisscross windows, I can see the Thames on uh, three sides. I suppose my anxiety here is that these stairwells might not have been designed for somebody of my size. I'm, I'm sure we'll be okay. We're passing the X now. So you've only got one more to do. Ah, uh, yes, at the welcome sight of another O. And then turn you the other way just to stop you getting dizzy. Is that really the reason? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm willing to believe it. Go. We've made it. So it's a bit misty today, um, but when it clears, you can see Ali Pali up there to the north and Crystal Palace down to the south. And of course, we're on this huge bend of the River Thames just here. Londoners traditionally think of the Thames as being or did think of the Thames as just being a straight line and, you know, London proper used to be on the north bank and um, then they put, you know, whether it was uh, jails, the clink uh, in Clink Street or, you know, the uh, theatres like the Globe and all of that or indeed um, a lot of the prostitution um, was all sort of had to be outside the proper city and so got slung onto the south bank and um, that's where a lot of the entertainment started so um, obviously the the sort of famous Vauxhall pleasure gardens even the king used to come over and uh, you know have a good time and Queen Victoria um, despite her black attire um, well, she wasn't. What, what are you saying about Queen Victoria? <laughs> well, she, she, in all the pictures I ever seen of her, she's always dressed in black. And indeed, um, the uh, what people usually refer to as the dolphin lights that line the Riverside Walkway um, used to be red, blue, and white. You know, they were sort of Union Jacky colours. But I understand um, they all got um, painted black at some stage. Now, whether that was, I, I think it was in, in, you know, at one point when maybe, uh, I'm not, I, the trouble is I don't know my dates on that one, but it, it, it was, uh, they have remained black ever since. And actually, they're sturgeons around the bottom of... Um, the bend round the lamps and not not uh, dolphins and um, but they are a good memory of the time when the river before the industrial revolution used to be uh, where people not only got their water to drink but also their fish to eat and salmon were actually the um, that's what the poor people used to eat 
I've heard the same thing about oysters. Oh, uh, you know, you wouldn't catch me eating oysters, but I mean, it, you know, until a few years ago, we used to, you know, have one of the famous um, uh, jelly deal and what have you shops here. Yeah, but uh, you know, they've um, we've lost in in this area our uh, wet fish shop and our some of the the basic shops and. Um, Funnily enough, that's how one of the reasons Coin Street Community Builders came into being was because uh, the shops were all closing, uh, the schools were closing, the population had fallen from 50,000 to 4,500, and it had been written off as an area by the planners for where the people should live. It was in future going to be an extension of the city in the West End and of course planners unlike you know the, the picture that Londoners generally had of the river as being a flat line, planners could see that there's a huge bend in the river at this point that makes us geographically right between the city and the West End so you can see the city over there, St Paul's um, and then over this way, there's the Houses of Parliament, London Eye. You're off to your left now. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, no, we should we should uh, back back up a little bit because we're going to hear a lot about that development okay. in the course of the next uh, 45 or so minutes. But we we started climbing a staircase uh, in uh, the way that no radio show should, <laughs> and uh, we have neglected to introduce you as our guest today, and also to to sort of marvel for a moment at the view here, which, with your permission, I might do just you for do. a second because yes, it's it's blooming amazing. Um, <laughs> We've got that lovely winter, late afternoon mist, as you mentioned, rising and, and giving everything a bit of a soft focus. Some of the buildings further back are disappearing into it. And I've certainly never seen London um, from here, except by helicopter, which is another subject I think we may be coming to. And uh, there's just enough sunlight penetrating the high cloud to light up the NatWest Tower over there, beautiful reflection, and, and we can see over the Houses of Parliament, a sort of a Victorian uh, winter sunset, I would suggest. Classic, classic Turner, I would say. Very much so, yes, absolutely beautiful. Should we, should we yeah. nudge around and have a look south? Because we were looking north there, now we're coming round. And I haven't had a look directly down yet. This will make me go as wobbly as it usually does. Oh, my goodness, yes, we're a long way up. What, how many floors up here are we? Well, the um, Oxford Tower Wharf itself, there's a restaurant to the top, which is on the eighth floor. And we're now the equivalent height from the river again up from the... Yeah, so you're twice as high. Um, it's one of the things, when you're looking up, the tower looks, you know, sort of smaller. But I once um, made a cake uh, done in the shape of the Oxford Tower, and, and the tower looked just too small. So I got out the plans, and I realised the tower is as tall as the building itself. That's astonishing. And, uh, of course, the uh, one, one sense of the size of the building isn't helped by the new construction uh, going up behind it, the South Bank Tower there, which I suspect might form uh, another <laughs> point of conversation. We should get into who you are, Ian Tuck, and I know that you're the CEO of Coin Street, but what is Coin Street? Well, Coin Street Community Builders came out of a campaign um, in the 1970s and early 1980s where people in this area around Waterloo Station... Um, had decided they had to fight to stay 
uh, and to, and they wanted to build up the residential community again. And so um, through that period, we gradually managed to uh, get sites where we built little housing cooperatives um, and uh, persuade the planners that actually this area should keep a small, anyway, residential population. Now, at that time, uh, the development industry was only interested in offices, nothing else, really. And so, um, site by site, uh, the old warehouses, the old houses um, got replaced by um, pretty large office buildings. Um, It wasn't until sort of um, later in the 1980s that in fact pioneered by people uh, further east um, began actually living by the river and um, you know becoming a little bit of a trendy thing all right st catherine's dark and all that yeah absolutely and indeed the 1979 public inquiry people you know the, the the opposing authorities and uh interests just said it's an inappropriate place to live here uh, particularly families you know how can families live with all these big roads and all the rest of it um so in a way there's been a huge change because now really the the main drive of the development industry in central london and certainly along the river um are you know flats and pretty expensive flats at that what, what is the... Because that sounds very sensible, actually, not wanting families to live in amongst industrial stuff and industrial size yeah. stuff. Why the move against that? Well, because families bring a sort of stability to the area. And, and you know, we were a community. We were a community group. And so we developed housing cooperatives, partly because uh, there was no right to buy. So when, in the 1980s... Uh, the Thatcher government introduced right to buy. This this became a pretty important thing if you wanted to have the range of employment that uh, the centre of a city needs. You know, the reality was that you know whether it's the public transport or the post or um, you know just running utilities, most of these things relied on people getting up early, um, being close enough to work that they didn't rely on public transport and driving in Um, so the functioning of the city sort of depended a lot on um, people who weren't paid so much actually living uh, close to the centre but uh, you know sometimes um, the development industry can sort of you know it it goes with whatever the flavour of the month is Um, we rely on planners um, and I know planning gets knocked a lot but actually Um, It is planning that allows us to keep uh, the sort of balance that a city needs between its, you know, public realm, its open spaces. Um, You know, a lot of high-rise housing now, well, you know, people are still going to want to go for that walk, um, be able to lie on some grass. Those things are very important. And, you know, from a green point of view, um, you know, one of our arguments is... Uh, why put all the load on you know people living outside having to commute in um, where most of the work was when actually you know if people lived within walking distance of work then you know that was essentially a much better 
model and and even to this day you know a lot of restaurants cafes open pretty late the the tube system is closed and they get sent back by taxi now if you have staff that are living closely if it's a sunny day they can suddenly you know turn up to work because they're more there's more business to do so um really we see mix and balance at the heart of a city is being a very very vital matter and what had been happening through the 1970s right across central london was um this very sudden depopulation so an area like fitzrovia lost 40 percent of its population in the 1970s and really this was happening as i say right across covent garden and king's cross and a lot of these communities then banded together um, and, and I was part of an organisation called Chickle, the campaign for homes in central London. And, you know, eventually we persuaded, uh, you know, the policymakers that actually it was a good idea. Well, now, of course, the market is liking housing. Um, wealthier people are wanting to live in the centre. And that creates a different sort of dynamic and a different sort of issue for planners to deal with. Well, it seems almost to bring us full circle to the issue that started this part of the conversation, that yeah. of what I think Ken Livingston started to call key workers, um, people doing the uh, the grunt work yeah. in the city, not really being able to get into the, the centre of town in terms of living here and needing to live an hour, an hour and a half out, yeah. not being able to afford the commute, um, concerns that are particularly pressing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, to, to give uh, Ken Livingston his credit, I mean, he was a very early adopter of, you know, what we uh, and other communities in central London were were saying. Um, you know, I remember many occasions when we'd go down en masse and uh, lobby at, um, you know, planning committees, you know, throwing uh, monopoly money over, <laughs> trying to make a point uh, that actually... A city needs to have people living at, it, at its centre. Well, it, it will now. You know, all these houses that are being built, you know, there may be arguments about, um, and certainly are arguments about, whether there's, you know, the right mix of affordable and, and just how expensive um, houses become when you're at the centre of a global, you know, city. Um, that, that, that almost seems to uh, uh, excuse the, the, the situation that there aren't enough affordable housing. I'm wondering, not that I'm suggesting yeah. you are excusing it, because clearly you do see it as an issue, but assuming the market has no conscience yeah, to speak yeah, of, yeah. then you are presumably looking at either legislation from on high and or planning uh, well, policy it, to, to sort the problem out. It's really planning that should be at the centre of things, and unfortunately what's happened is that I guess the idea was to save money, but whereas there used to be programmes where local authorities, the housing corporation as it then was, got money from the Treasury to invest in affordable housing, um, those days have sort of passed and the attempt was to piggyback affordable housing off um, the back of... Uh, private building but you know really that's a very difficult uh, you know you will get um, you know a limited number of units but this uh, is where you get your quotas within a new development you know they started saying well let's have 50% and maybe 40% and 
you know it, it's it's definitely you know uh, if you get 20% you're lucky and mostly people will say can we pay you some money in lieu of actually building the affordable housing you go and build that affordable housing further out where it's cheaper and of course local authorities are so stretched for money these days that quite often they will take the money but I'm, I'm really shocked to hear that yeah well unfortunately that's um, that tends to be the policy how pronounced is the problem at this point your view well i think um you know house prices uh, are right up there as being an issue for it's not just younger people um and really if if um you can't house uh you know a sort of wide range of of people um you know close to where the jobs are you immediately create a number of issues whether it's um for, for employers who are you know wanting to expand but find it very difficult and obviously more and more expensive um you're commuting people more you're, they're having to travel more and that's not a cheap activity um you know in the old days i remember the i worked for the inner london education authority and our local schools were full of young teachers who you know this is where they sort of with all their energy came and uh, sort of learnt the trade and, and developed their experience but you know now if you're a young teacher you're likely to get a job a bit closer to uh, your home because you know commuting in is you know as, a, as I say it's an expensive activity so it, it creates issues for our schools and, and, and so it goes on. Do you think uh, fundamentally that people have in, in our society have got their heads screwed on in terms of how they view home ownership and issues around that? Well, I think those things are changing. Um, I think the, the professionals now talk about generation rent, you know, that, that whereas in people my age were brought up, you know, if you could at all buy a house, you did. But for, for a lot of people, this is just way beyond um, their means. Um, but they want to live in the city and have the sort of city life. Um, I mean, I don't want to be too gloomy about this because, you know, in this period, you know, since the 1970s, this area in particular um, has transformed. I mean, it used to be bleak. Um, it used to have very few people at the weekends. I mean, you could wander around and you'd think you were in a, a film set. That, you know, there was no one to be seen and the population was pretty elderly in those days. And, in fact, I, you know, remembered... Uh, a lot of my neighbours um, saying that they used to go over to the dairy in St James's Park for their milk when they were young, you know. So, so um, this has changed a lot. Uh, the South Bank. It used to be a place when I started work on, you know, the uh, Coin Street project. We'd get architects coming over, saying they were designing bridges. Why? Um, to relieve the sense of isolation on the South Bank. Well, now the South Bank Riverside Walkway is way busier, uh, well, you can see now, um, than, than the North Bank. And, um, and and a different sort of busy as well, because, of course, well, on the Victoria Embankment, yeah. it's, it's all traffic, road yeah. traffic. Yeah. Down here we've got this glorious walkway, promenade, and uh, little jetties that people can go out and take photographs, and you can go and walk down on the, the sand and do a bit of... Uh, uh, dipping for old bits of uh, stuff and shells yeah. by, the, by the waterfront. I mean, it's a very different vibe, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it's fantastic. I mean, 
in a way, I suppose, because the South Bank was developed much later than North Bank, we have the benefit of looking at what had happened and thinking, well, actually, don't build a road right along it. Um, uh, so, and, and here again, credit to the planners, they said we want a continuous riverside walkway and site by site as things came up um, they insisted that a riverside walkway be built so in fact uh, Coin Street was the body that finished this last stretch of South Bank riverside walkway used to end by the uh, London Weekend Television Which, Um, which is where now? Well it's the that tall block there so just no, that doesn't work on radio okay, we've got well, it's just past the um, national theater ah, right yes I I see, so yeah. we've got a very ugly oh I, do you know what i've never realized you they, they used to show that on the the at the start of the news reports didn't they the big yeah. tower there yes yeah. I, I recognize it now uh very ugly uh, black and white stripy thing looks a bit like a licorice all sort and, <laughs> and so you've continued it from there and we've got yeah, a, and, what and looks so like a, a helicopter well it does look like a helicopter landing but it isn't and we're not very keen on those but um that's we call it the observation platform and you do get uh, the most stunning views uh, this this stretch that we did of course it, it used to have warehouses all along here and um we decided to keep oxotar because of it, it was rather special. Um, but the other warehouses uh, we demolished um, created Bernie Spain Gardens to link the river with the residential area behind. So that's that lovely patch of green we can see. It goes, goes down there th- through to Stamford Street. And then um, the housing developments that we've done, and they're all, uh, to date, housing cooperatives uh, for people in housing need. You can see a built sort of like squares round um, you know p- people have their own private gardens and then there's a shared garden in the middle so actually it's what used to be a very you know concrete everywhere I mean that was what South Bank was sort of it was concrete and I remember um, shortly after the uh, Berlin Wall came down we got some uh, visitors from Berlin Mitte the centre the east um, of, of Berlin and uh, after taking them round they presented me with a lump of the Berlin Wall and it was like you know this is a bit like bringing coals to Newcastle but now you know there, there are more trees there's more greenery um, Jubilee Gardens um, a trust of which we are part um, re-landscaped that um, in time for the uh, Jubilee um, Uh, in 2012 and you know the area uh, despite the fact that there are more taller buildings in it actually does feel you know like it's got proper uh, public realm and you can look out at the river um, you know you you can enjoy green spaces um, and it and it isn't you know how it used to be certainly doesn't feel as foreboding as uh, one of the images that stuck with me is a model that I saw in the Royal Festival Hall of the South Bank pre-Festival uh, of Britain Yeah. and those uh, wharves and warehouses that you refer yeah. to really just t- took up the entire bank there and there, there's no chance that anybody could walk along. So was it a case then of doing individual deals with, with landowners or how, how did that work? Yes, it depends who owned the land but generally um, you, you just put a requirement in their planning consent that they had to build a riverside 
walkway. Because isn't there a wonderful little church somewhere in Manhattan that uh, refuses to be knocked down and, and completely disrupts everyone's plan? I'm, I'm just wondering whether one warehouse owner could have uh, stymied your ambition. <laughs> well, um, I mean, in a way, Oxo Tower Wharf is, is one that is remaining. And what we did there, um, if, if people look at it closely, they come down next time, you'll see that it both cantilevers over the riverside, but also we've built an arcade that's within the walk within the building so we've continued the riverside walkway but it's both over the river and if you like um, within the building so you, you can do it and um, uh, in a way that variety makes makes it very interesting you'll see just down uh, below us that um uh, as you walk along from the National Theatre you do get to this observation platform and then we said we're not going to build out over that what's now sand and river bank or, or we called it the beach and, and at that time government policy was you had to build out to what was called the Port of London Authority line um, and we said no we're not going to do that because um, we want people to be able to go down onto that beach which is really special and gives you uh, a feeling of London that you just don't get when you're walking around amongst buildings. Um, In the end we managed to do that and of course now that is um, uh, you know that's the approved approach that you don't build out um, over the river so you know I think one has to remember a bit that the river uh, as I say until the industrial revolution was pretty clean and it was alive with fish and so on but it then really uh, you know because of all of the uh, sort of materials being poured into it um, it it effectively was poisonous um, and it uh, killed all the fish um, and you had cholera and things uh, like that. I think it was around 1860s uh, the big stink where they had to um, hang out uh, sheets in front of the Houses of Parliament and that's what sort of led to uh, a number of schemes like you know the big sewers that actually go under the riverside walkways and later on in the um, 1960s there was a concerted effort to clean up the river Um, the docks were moving out by now and in I think it was the sort of mid 1970s they threw in um, some young salmon and three years later they began coming up uh, stream again and they're now well over 100 species of fish so um, you know, although I still would advise people not to drink it, <laughs> that would be pretty foolish. Um, you know, it, it's it's a lot cleaner. But um, although, although you still hear of rowers uh, routinely going down with all sorts of lurgy because they, well, they've they've touched the the water, you, you certainly don't want to drink it. And and in fact, if you come along to what I call the beach, and you, you'll see the sand around Gabriel's Wharf, um, and go down onto the river. Uh, take a stick and just dig down through that sand it's not deep before you get into 
some very black and stinky material so underneath you know it, it it's still there but you know the river is you know now alive again and and it was one of the first sort of triumphs of concerted attempt to clean up the river well we've quite intentionally found ourselves talking about a couple of campaigns here we're going to take a short break to get a word from our sponsor and then we'll be back to talk about a couple of different campaigns london is out loud is sponsored by audible to claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles try the audible service on 30-day free trial Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk slash Londonist and click through. I am at the top of the Oxo Tower. I mean, right at the top of the Oxo Tower. I can touch the green bit. And uh, I'm here with Ian Tuckett from Coin Street Community Builders. And as the attentive listener will have spotted in the first half of today's show, it's... It's not all peace and quiet up here. There is uh, much building work in evidence. We can hear drills going away there. And if we come over to the east side of the tower, we can see the South Bank Tower there. It's been stripped down to its skeleton. And uh, you mentioned they're making it even taller. Yeah, uh, it used to be the IPC uh, building, and they're adding 11 storeys to it. Um, To bring it to a total of... uh, uh, pass. I mean, is it is it eleven on top of what we can see there? Yeah. So that must be twenty five stories or something like that. It, it it'll be, I suspect, taller than that. But it, it, it's um, uh, I mean, it's interesting in that they've kept the basic structure, which never really worked as an office. You know, which is one of the reasons IPC moved out just across the other side of Blackfriars Road. But um, it, it you know there'll be people living there, and obviously. You know, if you have more people living in this area, that's probably going to benefit, you know, the shops and make it a little bit more lively. And, well, I was going to come to see Container's House, and it's one of those buildings that I've often pondered on. Yeah. And I've, I've wondered about the history, so I might, I might pick your brain for information there. But um, as my eyes travel across between the two buildings, there's, there's a new one here with a, a roof at a rather strange angle. What's this building all about? Okay, um, that that is a building on Blackfriars Road. It's, it'll be finished this year. Why it's got the um, cut off the edge? Who knows? I have a theory. I, I wonder if this theory is going to work. I'm just it's having a look. Probably rights of light. Yes. Uh, My bet is. Let me. Hang, I'm just going to pop round the tower here. Let's go have a look. Yeah, I, I think this might work. Okay, I know that the that St Paul's Cathedral's got a protected sight line from oh, Richmond yeah. Park. It couldn't yeah. be that, could it? I doubt it, but there is oh. a there is a protected view which you can see. Um, the reason that the ITV tower is set back is to allow the view from the Houses of Parliament of Westminster Pier of St Paul's, and so between, I think it is the. Um, National Theatre Fly Tower and the ITV building you get this little view and that, actually that's great I mean, I mean it, it's one of the exciting things about living in a city you suddenly get these exciting views of somewhere which suddenly tells you oh right that's where it is because walking along as I say the, this big bend in, in, that we have in the river it's very easy to suddenly think why is South, St Paul's on the south bank you know because it 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 you know sometimes you're walking if you walk along the river you're walking from south 
to north and sometimes you're walking west to east so it's it's quite a confusing area if you don't know the um know it well yes in fact uh while i was waiting to meet you earlier on uh, i was ridiculously early i'm not going <laughs> to give the impression you were late or anything um there were a, a number of people uh, stopping at the viewing gallery a few floors down from here yeah. and uh, to a person every every single person said exactly that yes <laughs> well we, we should come to see containers house but i wanted to ask you what were the first indications that you were going to be on a path that would lead you to the top of the octo town well um i i started working um county hall uh when it was on uh you know just by westminster bridge um working for the in london education authority and because i worked i uh came to live here and um then you know there were some people uh sort of beginning to organize and i joined them and it was a fantastic way to um, get to know your neighbours and because a lot of my neighbours had all grown up together and indeed their parents and their parents' parents before that um, once you got to know a few everyone knew you so it was, it was it, it, in many ways a very friendly area um, it, it's grown enormously but it, it still has uh, fantastic links between uh, different community groups between the community groups and the politicians and indeed between now um, and part of the work uh, you know that, that I've done is to bring all the South Bank employers together and so um, you know since 1990 there we've we've had all the employers uh, big employers like Shell um, and and the arts bodies all meeting and so there's a lot of talking about what is the right way forward for the area and there's been a real concerted effort um, to try and make it better Um, we have uh, a marketing group that promotes the area and we have all sorts of forums like the South Bank Forum which uh, meet quarterly chaired by our two local MPs Kate Hoey and Simon Hughes and the war councillors um, and people can just turn up and speak about whatever issues uh, that they want to but also you know they hear about developments planned they give their views about whether the licensing laws are adequate and this is a fantastic area for communication and engagement and participation and it's sort of a model that I think could be rolled out a lot of other places because if you can do it in the heart of um, a big city like London I believe you can pretty much do it in any neighbourhood The idea of engagement well not just engagement agency seems to run through what I know about you so far activism and seeing the bigger picture but crucially seeing the potential to change things around and, and transform I wonder what you do that is passive in your life or <laughs> where, where you're the recipient of something and not the not the actor um, well listening is a pretty important part if you want you know to change things you've got to listen to people first um, but I, it is that question that people need to ask what if you know imagine uh, what may seem initially impossible uh, because people's horizons 
uh, tend to be a lot lower than they need to be um, and uh, sometimes you just gotta you know think what if and that's what stimulates possibilities I'm fortunate in um, you know I work with a fantastic group of uh, people both the staff and my board um, and you know the you know some of the local politicians and you know the the people who get involved from the businesses and so you know whereas very much in the 1970s I felt of myself as a member of the uh, Waterloo community meaning residential now I sort of feel part of you know the Waterloo and South Bank community which is you know the arts organizations it's the businesses it's the residents it's the students and we've got you know king's college not far away is uh you know the lse um a little bit further south is south bank university and you know it's this fantastic mix and that's really i think the great challenge now is to keep that mix and balance uh, because it's very easy just like you know the property industry sort of suddenly wanting all offices or all housing um it's very easy to lose that mix you know people will want to build on any open space that's going um but it is that mix and balance that i think makes this area so special and i think is what gives it a healthy economy when um the rest of the country was suffering because of the 2007 sort of economic debacle this area actually kept on increasing the number of visitors the trade in the local restaurants and so on um there were there were changes the london eye for instance the proportion of people from abroad increased uh not least because the pound was dropping in value um uh, and but the numbers grew and so the economy here is a very very strong one but it's also you know you can live here you can walk you know whether it's to the national theater the south bank center or across into Covent garden and all of that it, it it's something which is it's it's just a beautiful place to live and work listener i would like you to admire the finesse with which that answer was given that was, <laughs> i mean some people would have answered like i listened to a bit of beethoven or something <laughs> you're, you're quite clearly a, a, a fantastic spokesman for the area and for your vision and for the vision of the residents and the the players in the area yeah. people contributing to, to make this what it is and one of those contributors is c containers house and i'd love to know is it as straightforward as it sounds is that uh, no, no, sort of it's, it's administration fan- or something it's got a fantastic history in fact um originally uh when it, it got permission 1969 1970 um it was uh meant to be a hotel an apartment hotel and oh, no hold on it was always meant to be a hotel yeah yeah so has it ever been anything to do with sea containers what happened was that they built the the basic structure of the hotel uh, but never completed it and it remained empty and then they got permission to convert 20% of it into offices because as I mentioned offices were now the thing um, it was in fact 
meant to be the planning game, this hotel, for the IPC tower just behind that we, we, we were talking about. And what it was meant to do was bring life to the riverside all along its, uh, the bottom were shop units uh, that were meant to you know, enliven this stretch. Um, in fact, it never uh, was completed as, as a hotel. Um, first off, it was 20%, and then it was 50%, and then eventually uh, they got permission to turn it all into offices. And Sea Containers was uh, one company there, and the other part of it was uh, Customs and Excise. So those were the two uh, people who occupied those offices. Indeed, at the time... Um, Customs and Excise came down to me and they had a problem because uh, their staff were refusing to move to the South Bank. And there is somewhere a video, uh, you know, uh, which they made of me standing amongst demolition happening on our side site and saying, well, here will be a park and here will be, you know, uh, homes and this, that, and it'll all be wonderful in the future. Um, uh, the staff just didn't want to move down to the South Bank. Well, now, of course, people are very happy uh, because it, it's just a, a much, you know, more relaxed and mixed place than, you know, being in a city where you can sometimes struggle to get a seat, you know, or, or whatever at lunchtime. So then what, what has happened most recently is... Um, permission has been given uh, to change the existing structure into a hotel Um, and so we're going to have a Mondrian hotel opening in the spring or the summer this uh, year and um, that'll have restaurants and cafes along the riverside so that really will bring and deliver some of the uh, original promises and also I think Ogilvy and Mather and Puma are going to move into the offices so um, you know some great lets for uh, that uh, we, we've slightly suffered during the redevelopment period the riverside walkway was closed for a time you know the the uh, upper ground was closed but um, oh that was when you had to walk around the, the tate yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, well in fact for three years before that um, the Riverside Walkway was closed because of the building of the Thameslink and the station which we can see just there crossing over so um, Blackfriars Station used only to be accessible from the North Bank but now they've extended the station right across and the platforms right across the river they now have an entrance also from the South Bank just beyond Oxo and that's great I mean you know but it we we suffered because it did close for three years but you know you have to put up sometimes with that sort of stuff yeah so uh, so I promised we'd uh, come to a couple of campaigns a couple of more campaigns I should say and let's do them in in the, the following order things that other people are campaigning against and things that you have been and continue to campaign against on the way here walking along there was a trestle table with people who were protesting against the moving of the uh, the skate park and I gather digging a little deeper into this that there's a, a big switch of use and there's a lot more commercial stuff going in on that area I think these guys yeah. are being relocated down to somewhere near Hungerford Bridge. Well, I just wanted to get your take on what's happening there. It seems to be rousing a lot of sentiment against the move. Yeah, it's, it's certainly been highly contentious and um, 
Uh, in fact, I've got a sort of 12-year-old and a 9-year-old who are absolutely passionate about skateboarding and uh, they were some of the first to sort of sign their long-lived South Bank sort of petition and so on. And uh, to their credit, you know, the campaigners have really been dedicated. They're out there all the time collecting um, signatures and so on. And I think part of the problem was that the story wasn't properly explained and told to people. Um, you know, y- you very quickly got a scheme, a proposal, and gradually, as people looked at it, they realised actually their um, skate park and and indeed you know it, because it's been going for 20 odd years um, you know their fathers and their father's father maybe and you know not in 20 years not, not in 20 years no but it, you know it, it, it was amazing how many people just got involved um, and I think that came as quite a shock to the South Bank Centre. Now, to their credit, I think they've reacted um, by saying, OK, we're going to treat this seriously. You know, they have commissioned skateboarding designers. They have really gone out to try and explain why and what they're doing. Now, I'm not going to take sides in this one, if you don't mind, but... Um, I do think, uh, you know, there is now a, a proposal about how it could be um, and it's not that far away and they, they uh, have certainly got a, a story that um, has begun to sway my, uh, my kids but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to take um, sides on that one. Perhaps I, can, um, perhaps I can ask a more hypothetical question. I'm not sure. You know, I'm just going to go from the, the boring retail angle. Every high street, and there are a lot of uh, sort of villagey high streets, town high streets that have all blended into one big city. So we've got a lot of high streets in yeah. this capital, and they've all got the same shops on yeah, them, absolutely. selling the same stuff. Yeah. Um, isn't there a, some sort of a basic, I'm not sure whether it's arts or aesthetics or some sort of a principle, which I think you've been espousing earlier on in this yeah, interview, yeah, yeah. of sort of individualism and balance that, that would seem to speak in, in favour of keeping something as unique as that uh, and, and maybe excluding things that you can find anywhere. I, I absolutely agree. In fact, I'm very passionate about the need for the South Bank um, to be have its own identity uh, as far as possible for you know people to find shops and activities um, that are really quite different from everywhere else. So I think this is a real issue that has, has got to be addressed by everyone developing along here because it is a whole identity of an area we're talking about. It's a brand, South Bank brand. Um, and it should be about creativity, the arts, individualism. Cre- you know, th- this is what will make it special. I, I admire very much what Duke Kelly has done in terms of animating the outside because I've certainly, um, you know, uh, for a long time had uh, the South Bank Centre as a body that withdrawn from, you know, putting things on outside 
Uh, once they used to program stuff on Jubilee Gardens and then that all stopped. Um, well, Jude has sort of turned that around. I think there are, however, big questions about, you know, I was walking ar- along recently and I suddenly thought, do you know, I haven't seen the river. Where's the ri-? The river was behind this series of huts that were selling, well, you know, tat to be honest very expensive um, sausages uh, well, I've discovered. yeah you know i mean i'm not against uh, you know but actually let's not block off the river and um you know now this sort of activity uh you, you know can happen in the summer and the winter and um i think uh more care has got to be taken by all of us um to ensure that the experience of coming down here is really special and that you know come down here one year you'll find something different from the year before and you know part of what we've been trying to do with um this the design studios in oxo tower wharf and in gabriel's is is you know to have unique sort of one-offs that um uh you know make it special that you can't find it everywhere now of course sometimes these people have been very very successful and uh, you know, I, I went over to New York and went into the uh, Museum of Modern Art shop and it was actually full of old, you know, stuff that, you know, being created by designers at OXO. So uh, my ideas of buying presents, you know, fell rather flat there. But, you know, I think you have to constantly um, be tending. Um, it's, it's like gardening, um, looking after the city and I think um, management and maintenance are the big issues now that on the South Bank that, that we, we are all now beginning to really focus on we've got the crowds we've got um, the mix um, now we've really got to make sure that we can cope with the, the numbers that are coming we can ensure that they have a great experience and that we can make use um, and not exploit, you know, the river and, you know, the green spaces that have been created. This idea of, of sort of nurturing the environment with a small e, the, the built environment, uh, well, to, to, to some extent the green environment, actually, as we've seen, may be at the root of your feeling towards helicopter traffic in the area. You seem to have strong views there. Yes, well, after I think it was after the war, they designated the river um, as the helicopter route across London for, for uh, safety's sake. Yes, for safety's sake, and and um, you know most helicopters have a single engine or whatever you know propeller. That's the ones. <laughs> those, those great choppers, anyway. The the and so. They put it over the river, and as I say, at that time the river wasn't, you know, popular and used like it it, it is now. You know, it had boats, but it was, you know, otherwise not a. It wasn't, you know, greatly visited. Um, but as the river has become more of a leisure thing, and more people, uh, particularly recently, are now living. Um, the, the having helicopters uh, over flying, um, they do make a lot of noise, and uh, so uh, Coin Street has long campaigned against, and we we were part of a campaign that led to the shutting of the Trig Lane uh, heliport uh, 
by the city. There was uh, for the top of sea containers. Um, and when we bought Oxotar Wharf, uh, there were two barges moored off on which uh, just uh, adjacent to it where there were four helicopters um, landing and taking off every day and the very first decision we took as Coin Street Community Builders was to serve notice um, even though it meant a loss of income stream for us because we wanted you know the area to get quieter and I think there is a great understanding now um, there's still a, um, a, a helicopter port at, at Battersea um, but um, the the uh, we've seen off some other proposals for a, a floating uh, heli port that was going to go up and down the river um, and I think there's a greater awareness that it is pretty intrusive and is a much uh, more public use of the river so you know people don't really want uh, the amount of noise um, and of course we have right opposite us the temple so there's some uh, good lawyers that have sometimes supported us, you've got facilities like the globe which uh, you know can be pretty disruptive and well, I mean all this uh, sounds perfectly reasonable but then the, the listener will have detected the police sirens and the building works and it's, yeah. I mean it really isn't, uh, it, it, isn't it is, so quiet at the moment it, it? it certainly isn't and, and you know we are standing next door to um, you know a building site and a demolition site and yeah it, it's um, it's pretty it is pretty noisy at the moment not when you get down on the river you don't really riverside you don't notice it so much but up here where we're pretty close to where the ac- action is um, we're certainly picking up the sound yeah does that not go some way against your argument that noise is part of silly life well, I'd, I'd like, you know, there to be a lot less noise and electric cars, which look, you know, more and more possible. And some of, you know, these changes, I suspect, uh, technology will help us. Um, One only has to think, I suppose, of uh, Victorian London with horseshoes and yeah, cobbles. Yeah, yeah. This must be quite an improvement <laughs> by comparison. Yeah, I wasn't alive in those days. <laughs> I wasn't suggesting it was a personal memory. <laughs> um, well, we've got to come to a close here. And between you and me, I'm really hoping to string the conversation out for at least another few days so I can stay up here and <laughs> admire this astonishing view. The, the evening has fallen as we've been talking. All the lights have come on along the riverfront. The city is illuminated. St Paul's is lit up. This is a gorgeous place. It is fantastic, and, and um, you know, one thing that we did do with Oxo when we um, let the top floor to the Harvey Nichols uh, for, for the restaurant and the brasserie was um, we kept open um, as part of this a viewing platform, so you can come up to the eighth floor and just enjoy uh, the view of the river from this point. Um, also. Uh, you know there are some fantastic uh, designer makers um, on the first and second floors and you won't find more creative people and so great place to come and do your Christmas shopping Christmas shopping and by the sounds of it get in before they become uh, globally renowned and far too expensive yeah Ian Tuckett thanks very much (laughs) thanks very much it's been great talking to you my heart aches for some far off days no one cut it
And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Ian Tuckett. Thanks too to Mark Barr, Louise King and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.